Good morning, Door Creek. It's good to be with you all today. So today's question is how do we connect our faith in Christ to our work, whatever it is that we would call work? So it's more than what we just get paid for. If you're a student, that's your work, is your work at school. If you're a stay-at-home parent, that's your work, raising the kids. If you're retired, it's what fills your day. If you're taking care of uh, an aging parent, that's your work. What does it look like to connect your faith to your work every day throughout a week? What does it look like? Let me just say it's a daily challenge, right? Because people are involved and people are messy and it's not always easy to get along and work well with the people that we do life with. And so because of that, it's a daily challenge. Not only that, we're not always sure how to connect our faith and our work. We're not even sure if we're supposed to do that. We, we think like maybe that doesn't belong in the workplace, and so I don't worry about it. For others, we understand the, that there is some real tension here. There are some ethical standards that we may be asked to compromise because our boss is asking us to do something that really rub against. We don't think that's the right thing to do. We don't think that's the right way to treat people. And so there's real tension. Like, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to get, you know, called into the HR office for doing something, you know, here? And so anyways, there's, there's real tension. And so we have this daily opportunity to connect it, but the risk actually seems to outweigh the reward. And so the easy default might be to like, to hit the mute button or to play the chameleon and just kind of blend in. And maybe there's very few people in the places where we're called to work that actually know that we're a follower of Christ. So today our task is to try and answer this question, not in a simplistic way, but in a basic, simple way that actually makes it easy for us to know how to connect our faith and our work. And if there's an, a simple answer, not necessarily simple to do, but a simple answer to understand in a, in, a, in a course to chart, it would be this, that the simple answer to how do I connect my faith to my work is by keeping the great commandment. Do you remember what the great commandment is? It's got two parts. You can't separate them. And Jesus said the great commandment actually summarizes all 613 commands in the Old Testament. Remember how it goes? To love God, right, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what is the other one? To love your neighbor as yourself. So here, here it is. Whenever we choose to love God and our neighbor, the people we work with and for, the people we study with and under, right, our faith will connect to our work, and our work will be connected to God's Work. And so this is, this is our big idea that, that I want to just become central in our mind and so to kind of drive it in. Let's just say it together, all right? Let's say this together out loud. Whenever we choose to love God and our neighbor, the people we work with and for, our faith will connect to our work and our work will be connected to God's work. And so that obviously then raises two fundamental questions. What does it look like at work to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What does it look like at work, at school, 
to love my neighbor as myself. There's a foundational scripture that ought to be copied and plastered up maybe on our bathroom window so we're seeing it, bathroom mirror so we're seeing it early in the morning or on our visor as we're heading to work. And it's from Colossians 3, verse 17, and then 23 and 24. It goes like this. And whatever you do, that pretty much covers it, right? Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, with all that you are, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So we're going to start by saying we begin by connecting our faith that work by understanding first and foremost, we work for the Lord. We serve Christ. That's clear in our minds. Now, to be honest... That's not always clear in our minds, is it? Like, there's a lot of things that are clear in our minds, and it's not always the Lord. And that actually can be true of someone who's in ministry. That could be true of someone who's a pastor. You can separate your work from God. So everything's done, first and foremost, for him, for his honor, in his strength, our work connecting with his renewing work in this world. Notice the Christ-centeredness of our work in these verses. In verse 17, do it in the name of the Lord. That's in Jesus' name. Giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus, verse 17. Verse 23, working for the Lord, for Christ, not for human masters. Verse 24, it is the Lord Christ we are serving. And so there's this intentional mindset that as we begin our day, this day is fundamentally about the Lord. We serve and we work for an audience of one, the Lord, before we get crowded out by thinking, no, actually, it's about me. It's about my boss. It's about my employers. It's about these customers. It's about this sales call. It's about this deal. It's about this class. It's about this teacher. It's about these students. No, it's first and foremost about the Lord. And when we have Christ at the center of our lives, directing our lives through our work, then guess what? There's a change that happens in our mindset, in our goals. So our goals now transcend our job description. Our goal now transcends our tasks and, and to-do lists of each day. Our, our goal now transcends the dreams that we have for ourselves. It's about Christ. and It's about honoring him and reflecting him and moving his work forward in people's lives through me and my work in this day. Our attitudes change. Our motives change. Our work is co connected to Christ. And we understand that we have an inheritance and a reward that is connected to how we do life, even our work. And so with that mindset, we understand that bringing Jesus to work is, is more than just bringing a Bible. Nothing wrong with having your Bible out. But the minute our Bible is out, it just begs the question, is the Bible that's on your desk the Bible that is in your life and being lived out? The grace and truth of Christ and, and his word, is that being metered out in my life? The kind of work I do and how I treat people. Because if it's not, 
then man, is there a busted up message. And we are not reflecting Christ. And we are tearing down his reputation. And our witness for Christ is completely compromised. There's a great example of it that comes from a friend of mine who said early on in my banking career, there was this guy that I worked with who carried a Bible in his briefcase. He made it clear to everybody in the work office that he didn't drink and he didn't smoke because his body was the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is a biblical truth, 1 Corinthians. But the problem was he was overweight. He would binge on junk food all day long. He repeatedly came into work late, and he cheated on his expense reports and asked other people to cheat to cover up his cheating. And he said, you know, I overheard people kind of whispering in the shadows. Man, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want any part of it. He said, I committed myself to living a life that is coherent with God's help, a life of integrity so that my walk matched my talk. So how do we know? Because it's easy to say, well, that's, that's, what I, that's, that's how I feel about it. I want to connect my faith. to my, How do we know that that's actually happening? There's two marks of this that are distinctive things that help us understand if this is indeed happening. And it's not intuitive. It's not necessarily intuitive. Because you wouldn't think that the first mark that kind of ratifies that this is actually happening is this thing called gratitude. Oh, gratitude? You mean my attitude in work will, will be a, a test, a litmus test to see if I'm connecting my faith to work? Yeah, he, he said it is. What, what do we have here in verse 17? Whatever we do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. And Paul will go on to say in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we are to give thanks in all circumstances. That's God's will. Through the good, the bad, and how's it go? The ugly. And there's plenty of good, bad, and the ugly in our workplaces, right? And our campuses. And so there's, there's, we're given no excuse. Well, no, you don't have to give thanks because your place is so busted up. You're, you know, Mary, you're off. You're good. Dave, you don't have to worry about it. No, in all circumstances, gratitude. And so we get up, and we're grateful for a new day. Every day is a gift, right? This is the day that he's given us. We're going to rejoice in this day. We're thankful for life. We're thankful for help. We're thankful for the ability to, uh, to work today. We're, we're thankful for the fact that we have work, right? And that there's people that we work with. We have an opportunity to serve these people, that we can bring benefit to these people, that we can be sensitive to the messes in their lives and the hurts in their lives, right? That we can bring benefit to others through our work, that we can do good work that's honoring to God, that, that we can do things that's creative, that, that comes from God and using our mind. And we're thankful, we're thankful throughout the day, at the start of the day, that God has given us work. That's a mark of someone who's connecting their faith to their work. It's about our attitude. And there's a gratitude that marks our lives. Then there's this other idea that I'm gonna label as integrity, but the word's not in the text. But you'll see it in verse 23 when he says, do your work with all of your heart. When the Bible talks about heart, it's not talking about an organ that pumps blood through our body. It's talking about all that we are, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all that we are and have with all of our heart 
that there's integrity. There's not like this. So you know the difference between a, a veneer and a solid piece. So a veneer means there's just this thin layer on the top. And then any, everything underneath it could be cardboard, press, sawdust, could be all kinds of things. It, it's not integral throughout. It's not solid throughout. We're to be solid throughout. A life of integrity is to mark our life. I love this verse in Proverbs 21. Verse 3, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. So we work hard. We do good work. We do the right thing. We treat people kind, with kindness and respect. And so for traveling down wisdom's path relative to work, we understand there's a difference, actually, between honest and dishonest work. And we're committed to honest work of integrity, no deceit, no lying, no cheating, no buying off people, no stealing, no slacking off. Excellence marks how we do our work wholeheartedly to King Jesus. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was making this very point six months before he was assassinated to a group of middle school students at Barrett Junior High in Philadelphia, October 26, 1967. This is part of his What is Your Life's Blueprint speech. This is awesome. He said, and I quote, And when you discover what you will be in your life, Set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. Don't just set out to do a good job. Set out to do such a good job that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. If it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metropolitan Opera. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. So the question here is, do we find ourselves trying to do the minimum at work? Is there growing resentment in our hearts over our work and the people we work with and for? Are we known as a hard worker? Does our attitude lean more to bo toward being a grump at work or someone who's joyous and grateful? What's our reputation? Are our business practices questionable? Are we a woman, a man of integrity of our word? If we looked around our apartments, our homes, our condo, and our boss was with us, would we be embarrassed if they saw something that's in our house that belonged in the office? You know what I'm talking about. Do you know that employee theft is a $50 billion deal every year? $50 billion from employee theft. So when we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we begin to connect our faith at our work, our faith on our campuses. So that gets us to the second question. What does it look like then to love my neighbor as myself? 
And this comes out of verse 17 where we have this phrase where it talks about we're to do it in the name of the Lord. So when the Bible talks about that, it's kind of a confusing concept, but the name just speaks about God's character, Jesus' character. So we're to reflect. Remember at the very beginning of the Bible, we were created in his image and we're to reflect that image and, and multiply that image throughout God's world. And now Jesus says, come follow me and do life in my name. Do it like I do life, my character, so that you're reflecting me, my reputation, my honors. His name speaks of his character. Remember the apostles, when they would confront a demonic power, they would cast it out in the name, the authority, and the power. And so here's the deal. When, when our work in Jesus' name, representing his character, is taking place, then his honor is being elevated. His strength is showing up. His reputation is being lifted up. And so the distinctives that mark Jesus' character are many, but we see them beautifully reflected in one verse that talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is ours if we've trusted in Christ, right? So we've surrendered our life to his direction. He has now forgiven us of our sins. That's the work of the Spirit that is applying the work of Christ to our life. He now is in us so that we have the power and the desires to now live for him. And with the Spirit resident in us, it's Christ's Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit that starts to flower in our life is this like nine fruit kind of a tree. It's not the fruits. Like, it's the fruit. And all of it is supposed to be growing by God's grace. And as we see the fruit of the Spirit, we understand the distinctive marks of Christ's character because <clears throat> he perfectly lived this out. The love, well, let's just look at it. Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, let's just say it together, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, such things, there is no law. And there is nobody ever who's walked this earth that has done it like Christ. Always, all love and joy and peace, all patience and kindness and goodness, always faithful, gentle, and under self-control. And so this is how we now love our neighbor, by being filled with the spirit of Christ, and the overflow of that spirit now impacts the way we treat people. So as you hear these distinctive marks of Christ, what you're going to do then is understand that you are going to have an opportunity to allow these characteristics to grace the relationships I have at work and school. So there's love. Love is all about sacrifice. It's all about servanthood. It's about placing their interests before our own interests. Jesus Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so when love is operative, Christ's love is operative in our lives, we are looking to serve them. We start the day going, all right, this is, these are the people I'm going to be with. Lord, what do they need? What's going on in their life? How can I be part of not just working together with them on the task, but how, how can I... How can I be your hands and feet? How can I extend your, your love to these people today? There's joy. 
There's this infectious joy. It's like the open windows on a spring, sunny day, and you can just smell spring. And man, it just gets you so happy. Joy, man, you can't miss joy. So there's a perfect example of this. Wednesday, I was meeting with a new friend, Henry Sanders. So he started Selfless Ambition, Madison 365, great leader in our city. I'm sitting down just around the corner here at one of the coffee tables. And we're talking about his ministry in Madison, and up walks Beverly Crazon, my, my wonderful godly colleague who's been my right hand for many years now. And I said, oh, I want you to meet Beverly. Beverly meets Henry, and she sits down. Within like 30 seconds, Henry goes, wow, like you got a great smile. You're like a really happy person. And he just starts talking about her joy. So I, I work with Bev. So Bev's not one of these people where you go, uh-oh, which Bev am I going to get today? It's going to be this Bev or this Bev. She's like, you know, you know those kinds of people, right? Bev's just this joyful, godly woman. And it didn't take him a minute to notice her joy in Christ. Now, joy, unlike happiness, is not contingent and dependent upon circumstances. Our joy in Christ, who we are in Christ, the past settled in Christ, today made certain in Christ, who I am and why I'm here, the future is finished in Christ. It's a guarantee in Christ. That brings us joy no matter what, the good, the bad, the ugly, no matter what. And then there's peace. In verse 20, two verses before what we just read, it talks about the fruit of our own spirit, the flesh. And it uses words like rivalries, dissension, divisions. Well, there's plenty of that in the workplace, right? Yeah, but now, now there's peace, no rivalries, no dissension, no division, a commitment to peacemaking. It doesn't mean we sweep it on the carpet. We move towards it with a gracious spirit. Um, there is also forbearance or patience. And we need a lot of that because there's some really difficult personalities that we'll work with. Patience, no fits of anger, no giving into that, no getting even. There's kindness. Kindness is a game changer for any and every relationship that you have in your life, with your kids, with your spouse, with your neighbors, with everybody at work and at school. Romans 2.4 says the kindness of God leads to change, to repentance. Christ is called the, the kindness of God. And Christ's spirit in us allows us to be the kindness of Christ to other people. That means we're committed to being kind. So when there's a gap, and in the gap, our first default will be to accuse them, to blame them, to doubt them, right? Suspicion. We are committing to put trust. We are committing to think the best of this person, even though we know all their shortcomings, to focus on their strengths. We're committed to a good attitude. We're committed to being generous in our spirit with our time and our help to care for them. There's kindness, no slander, no backstabbing. There's goodness, there's faithfulness. We're trustworthy. Our word can be trusted. Honesty marks our lives. I love this from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase the message, Psalm 15. This would be a great one to have up in your cubicle. Walk straight, act right, tell the truth. Don't hurt your friends. Don't blame your neighbor. Despise the despicable. Keep your word even when it costs you. Make an honest living. Never take a bribe. You'll never get blacklisted if you live like this. 
So from cheating on an expense report to your test to not cheating to not cheating your employees out of fair wages or your employer of a fair day's work. We're faithful. And then there's gentleness, which is strength under control. It's not being a wimp. It's not being a doormat. It's, it's strength under control. It's a characteristic that's talked about of a, of a stallion that has been trained. Strength under control. And then there's self-control. And the interesting thing about self-control in the Bible is most of the time it's associated with sexual temptation. Now you think about the workplace. You think about our campuses. How much hurt and pain there has been because there's been a lack of self-control. Hello, the Me Too movement. And many other iterations of this. Self-control over the selfish desires of our own heart. And so, with the Spirit of Christ overflowing in our lives, we are positioned to connect our faith to our work as these beautiful qualities of Christ, His Spirit overflowing in our life, are now gracing the people at work. And when it happens, it's just noticed. My friend Nancy worked at a call center. She said, man, it was a rough crowd. Wow, the language was coarse, the way they treated each other, the way they spoke to each other. It was so offensive. The jokes were like, I couldn't believe they were telling these jokes. When we talked about our weekends, their experience on the weekends had nothing in common with my experience of the weekend. And I'm just trying to be a light in a dark place. I'm just trying to do, you know, live out Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. She went on to say this. She said, you know, I, we, we worked at a call center, so it was just bits and snatches where I'm just trying to figure out who these people are, trying to figure out what, what are some of the messes and hurts in their life where, you know, the gospel comes to bear in their life. I'm just kind of listening to their family relationships and, and what their interests were and just looking for ways that I might just be able to connect to them and, and just have a conversation about my faith. See, then one day it happened. This lady comes to me and she says, and I, and I quote, she says, don't you ever just want to yell at one of us? How do you stay so calm? I told her sometimes I had to ask God for control so I didn't lose the calm he was giving me. And she said, so God opened the door. I asked her if she wanted to get together and talk. And so we went, met one morning early at McDonald's an hour before work, and we started to talk. We started to meet frequently, and then I introduced her to Bible study. I introduced her to Christ, and another woman knew that we were meeting. She joined us, and people were wondering at the McDonald's, what's going on with these ladies studying the Bible over coffee and breakfast? was noticed and with the spirit's guidance and fullness in our lives it'll be noticed and with the spirit's power in our lives it's going to keep us from the booby traps the detours where we go no it's actually about me and our work and studies become about myself and selfishness and pride take over and that just busts it all up or when things don't go our way man we just retaliate we blow it we're harsh we retaliate Without the Spirit's help, it would be easy for greed to be our fundamental motivator. Without the Spirit's energy, it would be easy to just kind of settle into mediocrity and laziness. Without the Spirit's power in our life, dishonesty could be our preferred pathway for success. But Christ transforms us. And if you and I had the opportunity to rub shoulders with Christ... And if we would do the American greeting, which they don't do in the Middle East, and I'm sure they didn't do like, hey, Jesus, how are you doing? They didn't do this thing, but we do this thing. So if we did that thing with Jesus, and we shook his hand, 
every one of us would go, whoa, what would we say? Oh, that was rough. That was a big, strong hand. That got cal- That's a working man's hand. Jesus, the carpenter, who came to save us. And those hands were surrendered and opened and pinned to a Roman cross. His feet to a Roman cross. Because he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for us. And he transforms our life and he rescues us from all the false chasing that we will do, whether it's the academic thing or whether it's the work thing, where we're looking for ultimate. There's nothing wrong with finding some connected identity with our work. But if it becomes the ultimate source of identity, then what happens when we lose our job is it devastates us. What happens when we retire? We don't know who we are anymore. So our ultimate, he frees us for that. He offers us rest. He offers us labor under his yoke where we join him in this world. And so we have an identity and we have freedom from our past and our guilt. And we have the hope of walking with Christ today and with him in the new heaven and the new earth. And so he's our security. There is no identity in Christ that can be altered or changed because we didn't have such a good performance review because my ACT score was less than you know what. No, it's strong in Christ. Being his son or daughter is our fame, the spirit, our strength. And so don't believe the myth that only people like me, only people who are working with college students down at University of Wisconsin, only people who are serving like those partners that we have in Rwanda or Haiti, only those people who are in full-time ministry can always connect their faith at work. Here's the deal. We've all been called to serve Christ full-time. Wherever it is, he's called us. Wherever it is. And you're serving people, you guys, They may never, ever walk through the doors of this place or any of our campuses. You have an opportunity to point him to Christ. As we talk about a joyful witness, sharing and living the good news, it starts at your work, at school. So work hard. Do good work. Do excellent work with integrity, with gratitude. Treat others with dignity, respect, and kindness, knowing ultimately You're serving Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, holy is your name. May we set your name apart in our lives, at work, and at school, at home. May your kingdom come as we connect our work to yours. May your will be done on earth in our lives this week as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, the nourishment and strength for what you've called us to. Lead us not into temptation to make it about ourselves, to give in to our own selfish desires, but deliver us from all evil and the evil one. And when we fail to operate out of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, Lord, forgive us even as we commit to humbly forgive others. Let everything we do be for your kingdom in your power, for your glory and honor. And God's people said,
Amen. So we're going to do something a little different. We are um, going to have a panel discussion about connecting your faith at work. And I'm going to turn it over to uh, Mark Deering to have that conversation. Mark? So uh, we have some people prepared to share vulnerably uh, this morning just about connecting the faith in the work. So Jamie, Mike, uh, Cassie, come on, come on up. So as we were playing this series, you know, What Matters, Work, we thought it would be good at this point in the series as we've been discussing work to actually hear and have an honest conversation, open conversation about what it looks like, the challenges, some of the success to connect our faith and work as Mark has been leading us this morning, opening the scriptures. So I'm going to do some quick introductions. Uh, so at the end, we have Jamie. Uh, Jamie's a principal at Blackhawk Middle School and uh, has been an educator and uh, is Professor Edgewood uh, for a while as well. Uh, husband to two daughters, uh, married 13 years, right? Oldest daughter just won an award, uh, Miss Teen Black USA for the state of Wisconsin. So I heard. So that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then we have Mike. Uh, Mike's married at 33 years, 33 years, two kids, two grandkids, executive at Craft. Uh, and so, so good to have Mike with us this morning. And this is Cassie. Cassie's my wife. Uh, so I consider it like a, you know, married to a pastor perk. She doesn't quite call it that. But she uh, gracefully accepted uh, to be on the panel this morning. Stay-at-home moms. We've got five kids. And so the idea is, as we talk, that um, no matter where you work, no matter where your work is that maybe you can connect a little bit to the conversation uh, here in the uh, principal and executive and uh, stay-at-home mom. So uh, we're good. Yes, there we go. So uh, guys, uh, just kind of around two, two main aspects around connecting faith at work. So the first is just the challenges, like some of the barriers to connect, connecting your faith at work. And then we'll circle back and, and talk a little bit more about uh, how you do it, maybe some of the areas you found uh, some success in. So Cassie, do you want to you start us off? I made a disclaimer in the last service that I didn't really accept this gracefully. <laughs> Mark kind of made me do it. <laughs> oh, it's not my thing. But um, as far as the challenges um, with my faith and being a stay-at-home mom, um, one of my biggest struggles is um, feelings of inadequacy and... Um, there was a time when I wanted nothing more than to just have children be a mom, and then um, God answered that prayer five times in five years. And um, there's times now when I, when I question why God gave me five children, because I often feel unfit to raise them um, in the Christian faith in this broken world, because I know what it's like to be broken, I know what it's like to be hurt, and um, I, I, don't want my, I don't want that for my kids. So um, when my nine-year-old came to me in tears one day um, saying that kids were making fun of him um, and asking why, why people are so mean sometimes, uh, what I wanted to tell him was to go punch those kids in the face. <laughs> but what I actually told him was, was that the world is full of sin and in those situations the best we can do is to be kind and, and to show God's love. And... Um, reminded of the verse when it, sa it says in James, to count it all joy, brothers, when we face trials of many kinds because the testing of our faith brings perseverance. And, and I want my kids to know that, but I, I struggle with um, how to teach them that, that in the hard things, God is actually 
working in you. Mike? Uh, challenges. Um, you know, the obvious one is, is that craft, there was no employee manual that says, here's how to operate, but everybody knew you didn't talk about religion and you didn't talk about politics. Um, but let me just jump back before that. I really had a challenge with this question. Did being a Christian, was that an asset or a liability to me getting where I wanted to go in my job? I'm being really honest with you. And for, for you non-business people, that is, is my Christianity a, a strength or a weakness? I knew the career path I wanted, but to, to be public with that, was that going to be a strength or was that going to be a weakness? And I think if all of us are honest with it, that's, that's really the question that we're asking. So I did some, some uh, research through scripture, and not in Sunday, but other days, because there's a key message there too. So I'm, I'm studying scripture myself. I came across Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. So there I had my path. But now I was stuck. How do you do that? Continuing to, to, to read scripture, I found out that in 1 Peter 3, it, it talks about being ready to give an answer to anybody who asks you about the hope that lives within you. I didn't need to create the opportunity. I didn't need to go look for opportunities. God was going to bring those to me. I just needed to be ready. And so I had my, my path charted now. I said, God, every morning, I said, what do you want me to do? Who are you going to put in front of me to make a difference for you? So let me just tell you a quick story how that would work for me. <clears throat> I had just come in from the field to the corporate setting, <clears throat> and... Uh, the vice president of sales was preparing a speech for the entire nation, and he looked at me and said, hey, Krieger, come on in here. I want to I run by my speech through you. <clears throat> I said, okay. So he's talking, and he's, he's filling me in on his points. He goes, what do you think? I said, well, what's your theme here? He goes, I want everybody in the field to run to win. And I said, you know what? That's going to work. <clears throat> and he goes, all right, why do you think that's going to work? I said, because it's in the Bible. And he goes, you're kidding me. It's in the Bible? And I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's in 1 Corinthians 6. And he said, you got to show me that. Now, this is well before apps. So what did I have to do the next day? I had to bring my Bible in, put it on his desk, and show him where that was in Scripture. And that provided a lot of opportunities because he, he asked, do you really believe all this stuff, Mike? Now, I had a choice. Is it going to be an asset or a liability? I said, yes, I do, with all my heart and all my soul. He says, well, I, I'm glad it works for you. But that left a lot of opportunities for other things to happen. Jamie, how about yourself? Good morning. Um, so for me, being in public education and serving as an administrator has been um, poses challenges around how, one, I live out my faith as a Christian leader, and two, um, how do I be intentional and somewhat strategic with not just how I live out my faith, but how I utilize that to um, leverage relationships that I may have with my students or my staff. 
Um, so things that I've been creative with over the last couple years to kind of help um, give me the opportunity to share my faith and live out my faith on a daily basis um, has been creating and building community partnerships, one being with Door Creek Church and um, two with the Eastside Church around um, coming in and supporting me as a leader and, and my staff and my students throughout the year. Um, we come in before the school year even starts and we walk the halls of my school and pray for all of my students and my staff going through the building. Um, and we find ways to service our staff on days where we have professional learning throughout the course of the school year. So the church groups come in and they feed my staff. Um, one thing that is different for me, a little background, is um, I've only been here in Wisconsin for going on four years now. I was born and raised in the state of Georgia where I spent my first 12 years as a teacher there. Um, and those of you that may not know, um, living out your faith looks very different when you're in the South, even as it relates to public education. There are barriers that I have here that weren't barriers for me at home. Um, I didn't have to worry about having my Bible on my desk or having a group of kids come in to pray with me before school, during school, or after school, um, just because it was different there. Here, those are things that I have to be aware of. Um, but I was posed with the question early on, um, Am I willing to compromise what I've been born and raised with as a Christian man um, in order to be successful as a leader here? Um, and I like to think my answer has consistently been, no, I'm not willing to compromise that. Um, does that, again, mean that I don't have to be creative and intentional and strategic if I do that? Yes, I do. But at the same time, I'm not willing to compromise um, the love that I have for Christ in order to um, share that and more importantly, live that out on a daily basis. Um, so that's something that, you know, I continue to work around and continue to struggle with at times because something that Pastor Mark mentioned that's very important is that it's important as a Christian and more importantly as a Christian leader that I'm not just the principal that happens to be a Christian, but I'm a Christian principal. And people need to be able to see and know that and that needs to exude for me on a daily basis with how I um, carry myself and how I interact with other people and how I build relationships with um, student staff and families that I'm working with on a daily basis. So um, I, I do things like I have my devotional on my desk. I do have my Bible on my desk. And a lot of that, more importantly, is for accountability for me than it is for those that come in and out of my space. But it does give me the opportunity to have conversation starters, and sometimes it is the conversation starters for kids that may come in and out of my office and ask those questions, and then the onus is on me to make sure that I leverage and utilize that to um, not just live out my faith, but be able to share my faith with those around me. That's great, thank you. So we've heard a lot about just some of the challenges that we face, and, and hopefully we can relate to that. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into a little bit more. I know we already shared a little bit, a little bit more into, into maybe how you are doing it, uh, connecting faith at work, maybe some uh, continued success you've had, uh, just some of the things that you faithfully do, uh, whether you see fruit from them uh, or not. Mike, let's go ahead and, and uh, have you start that. Well, um, remember now that I'm praying every day, God, show me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity to uh, take my whole self into work. I've been very good at compartmentalizing. I had my Sunday self, and then I had the rest of the week self. And now I'm, I'm bringing those together, and I'm taking that into work as well. And I just wanted to be salt and light. And... Uh, let me tell you a story, and then I'll, I'll come back and tell you how that connected. Uh, again, back in a corporate environment, I worked with a lot of really sharp people, 
who were very talented, very educated, uh, fun to be around because the energy level was just off the charts. And we had an annual meeting every year uh, to run out the entire marketing plans for the entire country. And uh, a couple of hours before the, the big meeting, the, the senior executive in charge of that was, he came to me, he says, you know, Mike, I'm, we're going to pray for the first time in front of this meeting. And I said, great, that's wonderful. He says, and I want you to do it. <laughs> and I, I said, well, why me? He says, because I heard you could do it. Now, who told him that? So I get up there, and I pray before this meeting. And what was interesting is the response. Now, all of a sudden now, you get a target on your, your chest because you're somebody that can pray, I guess. But I had people come up to me and say, uh, well, my God really doesn't care about growing craft and blessing craft business. And I said, well, my God said if it's important to me, it's important to him. And I'm going to pray about that. And it gave a whole lot of other opportunities to uh, have people understand that I was different. And I was different on, on purpose, different. And it gave me a lot of opportunities. But what I found out was it was my administrator who told, an administrator who told him that I could pray. And that was one of those answers to the prayer of, give me an opportunity to be salt and light to you today. Cassie? Um, I want to go back to a little bit of what I said before, that there was a period of time when I was just going through some really hard things. And I uh, came to Mark in tears one day and just said, I don't know if I can do this, if I can raise these five kids um, in such a broken world. And he said, Mark said to me, um, you just have to remember that you're not doing this for you and you're not doing this for them, but you're doing it for God. And um, you're raising these kids to be a light in a broken world. And that just put it in a little bit of a different perspective for me. And uh, I watch my kids, and I'm so encouraged by their faith. Um, some of them, every week they come, they come here and they stand back at the doors and they pass out bulletins. And it seems like a mundane task, but they love it, and they come here every week and they do that faithfully. And my oldest son... Um, he loves to ask people if they go to church and if they know God. And then he proceeds to tell them stories of the Bible. And his faith is just so unwavering. And it's just so encouraging to see that. And um, I realize that God is using me as a mother to work in their lives and their faith. But he's also using them to teach me about faith. Jamie? Um, for me, I think it's important for me to continue to utilize the opportunities that come forth for me on a daily basis with things that we have already um, in place in my school. We do a lot of work around restorative justice, and uh, for those of you that don't know about restorative justice, it provides an opportunity for everyone to um, share an equal voice and also an equal ear um, around things that are taking place, whether that be repairing harm in a relationship that's been damaged, whether that be giving feedback to adults around instruction um, from an academic stance. 
Um, and for me, I've utilized that the last two years as a way to um, kind of share what I believe and share my faith. And it has also sparked um, some of my other students and even adults to share what they believe as well. And um, for me, it's really keeping that at the center of the work that I do to make sure that I'm not missing on opportunities that um, can come forward for doing that. And more importantly, knowing that that's my stance as a leader, to also take that home with me as well. Because one thing I try to make sure I do is separate work from home, which can be very hard and challenging as well, but not separating that part of me as a Christian leader and a Christian father when I come home. Can we give a hand to our panel? Um, so I'm calling an audible because I can do that as a lead pastor. So it's an audible time. So um, this message today was greatly enhanced by our conversation with you guys. So I'm learning, right? We're learning real practical things. You guys, if you're not in a small group, this, this is the kind of dynamic that happens as we get into a message and talk about it and learn from each other. So what I want to do before Mark sends us off is I want to pray for these three, okay? So why don't we all stand up and join me in prayer. Lord, I pray for my brother Jamie. Lord, I thank you that your spirit is strong in this man. And I thank you, Lord, that he is a light for you on the north side of Madison. I pray your protection over him and his family. I pray that you'd bless his marriage. I pray that you'd give him great wisdom, Lord, and a growing heart of love to lead the students, the families, the faculty, Lord, in God-honoring ways. We thank you so much for Jamie. I thank you for my brother Mike and for the way he has been blessed by you to integrate his love for you in all of life. And I thank you for Lynn and for what you've called them to in these years of their life as they build into family and grandkids and neighbors and through FCA where Mike is leaning into a lot. I pray that you bless his leadership role there and that many student athletes will come to Christ through FCA and Mike's work there on the board. And Lord, I bless you for Cassie and all of us on stage know that she's got the hardest job up here. And with these five great little kids and all that it demands, Lord, that you'd fill her with joy and with strength and with a profound belief that what she's doing each and every day matters and is paying dividends. And so thanks for her love for you, her love for her kids. And we continue to pray your blessing on Cassie and Mark and each of her beautiful kids. We pray all this with great thanksgiving in our hearts to you. In Christ's name, and we all said, amen. amen. Yes, let's do one more hand. Thanks, you guys. It's so good.